Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Hey, Crazy Birds. I hope you guys are doing all well. Such an amazing guest for you guys today. I'm super, super stoked to bring all his knowledge to all you crazy birds. I've been wanting to get one of his products for some time now, and I just don't have space to keep it at the moment. But as soon as I do, I'm going to get one of those guys in my garden one day. So our guest is actually a lifelong beekeeper, and he's the co-inventor of the revolutionary honey extraction system, the Flow Frame, inspired by his son who wondered if there was not a better way to actually get honey out of the beehives without disturbing the bees. This was the start of a 10-year journey together of designing and testing. Since its launch in 2015, the Australia-made Flow Hive has inspired tens of thousands of new beekeepers all around the world. With over 75,000 hives now flowing in 130 countries, founded from a love for bees and the natural world, Flow is about more than just harvesting honey in a gentle way. It's about creating community, educating people about the importance of bees and also supporting beekeepers to be environmental stewards as well. As a certified B Corp, Flow is committed to doing business in a regenerative, ethical and sustainable manner whilst also generating a positive impact for pollinators and communities through its research and impact projects. During this episode, we are going to take a look at the importance of bees. What exactly is the flow hive? The importance of being educated when it comes to bees and also how we can get started when you want to get your own hive, as well as how we can actually look out for our pollinator friends right where we are. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Stuart Anderson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting myself organized with a pen to take notes of questions and sometimes, you know, keep on track of things. So good. Thanks very much, Mariska. You're most welcome. Stuart, I am really excited to talk to you today because I've been wanting to get bees for some time and we've just not been living in a place where we can actually have bees. So that's like future goals. So how did your sustainable journey actually start? Well, just just as an aside for that question, Mariska, um, I have visited many people who are keeping bees in their flats, 20 floors up on the little balcony. On We used to keep bees and the bees were on our carport roof because we didn't, we didn't have enough yard space and um, so we'd have a little ladder up to the roof. So bees, of course, will range for 
five or ten kilometres. To well, ten's a long way from them, but so where they live, they don't care if they don't live right next to or in a garden or anything like that. That doesn't matter to bees because they're flying a long way to oh, wow. reach the trees and the plants they want. So how the the journey with flow hive started was my son had about twenty beehives. His name's Cedar. It was uh, now 16 years ago now. He was came home one day and was very, uh, we happened to be having dinner together and he was exhausted because it's uh, we live in a tropical area or a subtropical. It's hot, it's humid, and you have to lift. It's it, 20 hives is a lot of hard work. You don't, you can't, it's not worth buying machinery to do the lifting for you with that small an apiary. And so... He was exhausted. He'd been stung through his bee suit because it had been so sweaty that it stuck to him. It's a lot of heavy, hard work. The boxes weigh more than 30 kilos and you have to lift them off at a funny sort of angle and then you have to get them up to your honey processing shed and then there's a lot of work doing the processing. So he said, come on, we've got to figure out a way to get a honey from a beehive without opening it. And, uh, and he and I have a history of inventing things together Mostly it's just in our minds, but occasionally we make them. And this one, he thought, well, if we could do this, it would be a really useful thing for people. So let's try. And so he kept driving the project and, uh, you know, I love working with him. And so it was uh, fun, you know, but it was a long, long time because if you know about bees, they can take anything from one week to months to fill up their honeycomb depending on how the flowering is going in the time of year. And so we had to wait a long time for all of our different experiments to fill up and then find that they didn't work after all and go back to the drawing board. So, <laughs> you know, it's a long, a long time. And I mean, that's really the flow hive has, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more later as well, but it's really kind of revolutionized beekeeping because now all of a sudden it seems a bit more possible for people to have their own beehive because, you know, they don't have to ha carry all these heavy stuff. And yeah, so it just kind of makes it easier for people. But for anyone out there that has not seen the flow hive, and I'm again going to link everything up in the show notes, what is it exactly? How is it set apart from the normal traditional ways? You know, I realized that I jumped ahead because you'd asked me about my sustainability journey. And then I jumped into the flow hive, which is the flow hive journey, which is links to sustainability, but still. so I want to go back to that yeah, first sure. and then um, remind me of the question. So <laughs> so the sustainability one, because I want to honour my mum in particular and then her father. Her father was a market gardener and he had goats and chickens, you know, chooks we call them, and um, he composted everything. And then we did the same in our just suburban household in Melbourne where I was brought up and uh, my mother in particular, and my father went along with it, always conserved things, always um, all our food scraps went back to the garden and, and so on. And so I learned about sustainability and how you do a small footprint very, very early on without realising I was doing that. And my mum was also an activist. She joined lots of organisations, some of them tree planting organisations, others um, trying to help with um, starvation and hunger in the world and so on. And as well as organisations that linked people from different countries together. You know, my hero. Oh, yeah. wow. So sustainability has been in your blood ever since. Wow, that's amazing. Such a beautiful story. Wow. 
yeah, a bit teary because my mum's, you know, died 10 years ago. So anyway. Well, it's it's a great legacy. And I mean, that's obviously what you've kind of brought through with with your children as well, which is amazing. And I mean, that that also kind of links to the bees and like, you know, all of this environment. And why was that kind of important for you to protect the bees as well? Yeah, I have been involved with environmental campaigns before all of this flow thing happened. And, you know, I'd always been a beekeeper, but just a, ho- a hobby beekeeper. But that was just one thing that I was interested in, one of many. And, um, you know, the why question's odd, isn't it? It's like, oh, I wonder why. How come I care about this? And, you know, I guess at a deep level I know that I'm not separate from the rest of life and that's both a wonderful and a terrifying thing to understand, you know, so that the health of species, the health of ecosystems, the health of our planet and, you know, in such a complex, beautiful system that we are nestled in and a part of, that all of those healths are important for my health, you know, if I'm thinking selfishly. But it's more like you can feel yourself that you're part of this whole cycle of things you know a tiny little part nothing special but but of course special to me (laughs) and and, uh you know just like I brush my teeth because I want my teeth to be healthy I work for environmental health because that's part of my health as well Exactly. And I mean, when when it comes to bees, I think still so many people is not fully aware of what superheroes these little bees are and these pollinators, because if it weren't for them, you know, there's so much of our food resources that actually relies on the pollination that without that, we don't have food. And, you know, we've kind of lost so many, like almost 10% of pollination species. And, you know, if we just look at all the other species that's going extinct, it's becoming more and more important for people to kind of take care of it and just look out for these. And along the way, if you develop a really passion for bees and you can protect them even more, then that's even greater. In that Flow Hype story, when when Cedar and I realised that we could do what I had thought was impossible <laughs> and we could get honey from our hive when we did do it. Then we had to think about, is that a good idea for our world? You know, because, because there's plenty of ideas that, you know, I have or that people have that maybe don't make any difference whatsoever. They're no big deal, maybe just a waste of time. And some of them are not a good idea at all. Maybe mm. They're um, a bad idea. So, we, you know, every inventor and innovator should think about that. I know that, um, you know, honeybees around the world have been in trouble, but they're really an indicator. They're like the canary in the mine or whatever. If those honeybees are in trouble, that's not such a problem because human beings will sort of look after them and figure out a way because we we want the honey and so on. But that also means that insects all over the world are possibly in trouble, and that's where there's so many of them. You know, there's so many beetles, there's so many butterflies, there's so many different sorts of bees, thousands and thousands of different sorts of bees and wasps and so on. All of them play a role and uh, all of them are part of our incredible ecosystem and we don't really know how they're going and we don't know 
what ecosystems could be on the verge of collapse because we're losing them. So it's a it's a serious problem in terms of pollinators and uh, the bees are just the indicator. And what I hope has happened with the flow hive and so many more people taking up beekeeping because of it is that that's creating a window into that world. I think as you've sort of pointed out, people not only don't understand insects and how how they're integral to our world, they also, even further, just find all insects scary and they just want to put up one of those zappy lights in the corner and kill them all because somehow they're all wrong. So beekeeping allows you to go, whoa, insects are their own world and they're a world that we're only just beginning to understand and uh, we can value them. And so, yeah, of course, I still will swat a mosquito. Don't. I get stung by bees a lot. I can't say I like getting stung, but but <laughs> we can still, you know, um, protect our own skin, I guess, while valuing and being interested in in insects. You know, they're they're fascinating. I just love that. That whole thing just comes together. And I mean, with the flow hive, you guys obviously went, I don't even know how many times there were sketches drawn and prototypes made, but the flow hive was launched officially in 2015 on Indiegogo. And you guys thought, you know, 75,000 and, you know, you'll, you'll kind of have that as a goal. And within 15 minutes, you guys reached more than 250,000 US dollars. Like, did you guys kind of expected it to do that well? What was that feeling also to know that, you know, other people are willing to invest in you guys and in this project? Well, we didn't, we didn't know. We, we had hopes, of course, but not, I, don't, I think it went way, way beyond what our hopes were <laughs> in terms of, of how the whole campaign worked. So we put a lot of effort into that campaign in preparing for it. And in hindsight, there was lots of things we didn't need to do. We didn't need to, for example, launch in Canberra where we had access to journalists that we don't have where we live and things like that. But we did lots of preparation. And, yes, when I think of all of those people that are backing us, thousands and thousands, I feel really teary, you know, in, in gratitude. It's like... Oh, you, uh, how could people give our inventing work a greater tribute? It's incredible. So I prefer to keep it on that level of, you know, back to that appreciation. I, it's just been remarkable because for me the main, you know, as an inventor, it's like, wow, I've invented a successful invention, an agricultural invention, one that helps beekeepers and bees and so on. And then the whole crowdfunding thing, it was essential to launch it like that, or that didn't have to be quite so big. <laughs> but it became a whole other story, you know. The invention sometimes got lost <laughs> in the story of the success and, oh, I guess that's what happens. But, um, uh, yeah, generally I'm, I'm stunned and grateful and uh, can't believe that it's happened to me. <laughs> wow. And I mean, guys, like this is really like when it comes to the campaign, it was one of the first or the fastest campaigns to actually reach $1 million and $2 million. It is still one of the most successful crowdfunding campaigns outside of the US. So 
I'm all for supporting you guys. And I'm so glad that there were so many people that took this to the next level and helped to to grow the whole uh, flow hive. And, you know, I know of so many people that got into beekeeping because of that. So thank you guys, you know, for trying to to make that um, that happen as well. And Stuart, I, I just, we kind of touched on it earlier, but, you know, there, there might still be some crazy birds that know about beekeeping and they they might not have heard about you guys or exactly what is the flow hive. So, you know, anyone that kind of needs to figure out what it is, because literally you put in a key, you unlock the key and you've got honey. Quickly, if you can just explain to us what exactly is the flow hive. To do, to put that key in and turn it and the honey comes out requires some knowledge. It's a bit like if you jump on a horse and ride it, it needs some knowledge. You can't just, you have to already have established a bit of a relationship with that horse and and understand horses and so on. And in the same way with bees. And so that's the wonderful thing about becoming a beekeeper. It's a endless journey of learning. So yes, the flow hive, the, the essential part of it is a plastic matrix a matrix that the bees build their honeycomb on and they cover every part of it with a fine layer of wax and then build their cells. And then when we operate that key, the cells that they've built, the hexagonal cells that they store honey in, break open vertically, um, if I can do it with my hands, mm-hmm. in such a way that the cells turn from being cells to being a vertical column, a, z- a zigzaggy sort of a column. And the honey then flows down that column or that vertical tunnel and back down into a trough at the bottom of the of the frame and then out into of a tube and into your jar or whatever you're catching your honey in maybe into onto your piece of toast you know <laughs> or pancake but whatever you like and um yes there's plenty of pictures of that on our website and that's the essential part of the invention but when we were cedar and i were inventing it and realized we could do it we had assumed that most people would just buy that part because we were thinking of beekeepers. We weren't thinking of brand new beekeepers so much. We were thinking of existing beekeepers and we were thinking they could just buy these frames from us so they can get out their saws and cut up their existing boxes just a little bit to modify them and put these frames in their boxes and then they'll use them because that's what we would do. Mm. And seated, we both thought, oh, well, some people will want to buy you know, the whole box. We better make some boxes so that some people can just buy the hive as a complete unit. Not that very many will, but we better do it. And they said, well, if we're going to do that, then it should look beautiful because we've invented this amazing thing. It should be in a good-looking box. I went, well, yeah, I hadn't thought about that because I've been brought up with very ordinary, we would say daggy-looking boxes, you know, in, (laughs) in, um, in the field, and they're not very pretty. But so to make a beehive that looked nice was like a, a novel idea for me. But still, I got into it with cedar and we've made that one with a little sloped roof and the way the joints, the way that it joins and, and looks, and uh, we put a lot of care into that. And what we didn't realise in doing that was that we opened up to a whole market of people that do want to keep bees, but they want it to look beautiful in on their balcony or in their backyard or, or whatever. and. Um, yeah, it just hadn't occurred to me anyway. Maybe Cedar had a half an idea, I don't know. 
So that became another part of Flow Hive is making nice looking hives that people could still afford and had this mechanism in them that meant that the the honey part, the harvesting the honey part was easy now compared to, you know, for an amateur it can, you know, chew up most of their weekend if they've got a couple of beehives in their traditional way. It just and you end up covering all the doorknobs in your house with sticky honey and <laughs> you know, it's a it's a hassle, but you still do need to look after your bees, and um, and so you still do need to open the beehive at other times to inspect them and get to know them, and that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. You guys do a lot when it comes to the education process as well, because the last thing that you want to do is to have people, you know, buy all of these flow hives, and then they just think it is like an a bottomless tap they can just open and you know when you need honey on the toast you just run outside and get your toast you know you, you still need to take care of them so you guys have like a, a beekeeper online course as well and I just wanted to kind of you know talk a little bit about that as well like why was that one of the key things to keep the bees happy as well as, you know, to keep them alive and the hive thriving? So why was that important for you? Well, that was important because we want people to be competent, you know, educated beekeepers. Beekeeping is fascinating in that way and there's so much to learn and um, it doesn't take too long to learn the basics, but then you can keep learning for the rest of your life about them. And so one of the criticisms that actually Cedar and I shared the concern that came from beekeepers was we've made beekeeping look easy with our photographs and videos and things and people won't realise that they need to care for the bees and so they'll get them all, get these hives from you, the hives will die and that will spread disease and so on. There's a a little bit of truth in that, Mm. not a lot. It's much more complicated than that and it isn't amateur backyard beekeepers that are spreading disease. Uh, I'll leave that little argument there, but I, I know that it's not, it's not them, even if, even if their beehive does die, it's not them spreading the disease. But it is a valid point nevertheless. And um, so even from the beginning, just on our general sales website, there's lots of information on looking after bees and the encouragement for people to join their local bee club or link up with local beekeepers because that's where they'll learn, you know, from people who are in their area, in their climate and in in the sort of habitat there. They'll understand, for example, how to overwinter their bees wherever they live. And so then we created the beekeeper.org website along those same reasons and also thought that, um, well, it might be a good way to raise some money for pollinators and so on as well, 50% of the profits go. And and I'm pleased to say that, you know, it's just a couple of years old and it's already in profit, so that money Mm. is now going towards great campaigns, for example, um, uh, what's it called, Uh, bee-friendly farming, which is about pollinator-free farming really. So encouraging and supporting farmers in Australia and uh, it's happening in the US as well to, you know, plant a diverse range of plants or allow those plants to thrive and, and think about pollinators when they're, if they feel they have to spray um, and minimise their spraying and so on. So this is all really, really important for our world. And uh, so, you know, it's a bit like if you want to save the whales, that's great, but actually what, we need to create a healthy ocean and that's, that's what whales will thrive in. So 
caring for bees, caring for pollinators means that everything else is healthy as well. Like you can't separate it. Oh, that's great. And I am going to link up to that beekeeper online course in the show notes as well, because, you know, it's so important. I I would even recommend before someone, you know, wants to get their own hives or, you know, go and first of all, join your local beekeepers, go and do a local course or even do this course and, and really get a feel for it, you know, help someone out for a year on there with their hives and really learn what it takes and then decide, you know, am I willing to put in that effort? Yes or no? Because, you know, you don't mm. want to go ahead and just purchase everything. And then, you know, six months down the line, you're like, Ooh, this is not really for me. So that's a little tip from me. And that's something that I'm going to do as well. But <laughs> let's see, see how it goes. No, I agree with you. It's, um, it's lovely watching those and listening to those experts, you know, because, because they are so experienced and they have been thinking and doing bees for a long time. So uh, I'm very proud of that, thebeekeeper.org, in that it's, it's allowing those experts to, to reach larger audience and so on. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, I mean, just going back to, to this uh, flow hive, it is really beautiful. Like, honestly, it is, like, gorgeous. And our oh, crazy birds, again, have a look at it. It's really, really beautiful. And what type of wood do you guys use for the hives as well? There's, there's three main woods, um, western red cedar from North America. We, of course, um, source it carefully from its FAC, if you know that name, certified, so that the forests are cared for, the Indigenous people in those forests are part of the decision-making and so on. And the same for the Australian wood we use, which is Araucaria, which is our local hoop pine, Strictly not a pine, but anyway, it's a it's an araucaria, and uh, that's a lovely golden timber. And we also use again an FAC certified wood called polonia, which is a very lightweight wood that gets grown in China. And so, um, you know, there's that choice. And then there's a number of different models you can choose from, and um, sometimes it varies from country to country as to what you can get. But basically, there's those three woods those three timbers and then a variety of models of hive you can get. Oh, awesome. And you guys have a great chart for all the different models. So I'm going to link that up as well. So then, you know, there's also a great video that actually explains each one as well. And I've seen that a lot of people painted some of their flow hives as well. Can you use like a specific type of paint or any paint or how? What do you do? I mean, you're painting the outside. So the bees don't seem to be worried about that. Like beekeepers, um, commercial beekeepers and so on, often paint the insides of their hives as well. There's advantages and disadvantages to that. Most amateurs like to leave it sort of natural on the inside. And there's another school of thought that thinks that not only natural, but it should be quite rough. Anyway, that, there's a whole lot to go into there. So if you're painting on the outside, you can use, you know, like a decking oil or a furniture oil that's good for outside. If you wish, if you want it to retain that timber look, you can look at varnishes and, you know, varnishes that are designed to be outside, like marine varnishes. The bees, um, you know, of course the varnishes, you're not painting it while the bees are in it. So um, once it's dry, it's okay in the same way it's okay for us. And so really it's up to you and, and what you want. A lot of people like to oil it oil the hives because they feel it's more natural and they're, 
and they're focusing on that, and that's that's lovely too. Um, the oil the oiled hives will slowly go grayer and darker, and you'll lose the bright new finish. But that's okay. That's what happens to timber outside. Where exactly do you guys manufacture all of the flow hives? Uh, it's all in Australia at the moment. We have our own small factory locally where we live, and then we contract out to two factories in Brisbane, one of which makes timber hives and the other one makes the flow frames themselves. Okay. And that's it. We, okay. we did begin with one hive manufacturer in the United States. That just didn't work out. It was very hard for us to maintain the quality. That's really great. (laughs) (laughs) And when it comes to when people want to order it, so it actually comes flat pack, so you need to assemble it yourself. It's like a little little idea. Yeah, that's the first barrier. (laughs) (laughs) The first barrier is you have to assemble it. And because there's a certain amount of practicality involved in beekeeping, Mm. For people who like to do hands-on things, we're asking you if you're going to look after your bees, you have to open the hive, you have to. And so having to assemble your own hive is, is you know, a, a part of what beekeeping is about. And then you also have to get your bees, which is where it is really of a good advantage to be linked up with a club or local beekeepers. You'll, you'll get good quality bees and um, probably cheaper than just generally buying them. That's very interesting. I'm definitely going to probably contact you guys whenever I order my flow one day for our garden. I mean, there's so many things that when you're new to beekeeping that you need to learn. Like if someone is completely brand new, where do they start? Like what would your advice be on that? People like to learn in different ways, don't they? And so I learned beekeeping because my dad was keeping bees. But he was still learning, you know, it was beekeeping, you know, he, he didn't learn from his dad. So so he was learning and we were learning together. And in those days, diseases and pests weren't, there weren't so many of them. It wasn't such a problem. So I think some people will just do some initial reading and then just get their hands in and do it. Hopefully they're linked up with a beekeeper that can support them. But um Some people won't be able to do that. And then other people, I know others that prefer to do one, two, perhaps even three courses, you know, organised proper courses, sometimes with a certificate before they get their bees. And I think that's a great way to go for that sort of learner and that sort of people that like to learn like that first. So I think people should think about the sort of person they are. Some people just don't like clubs and so it would be a mistake for them to go to a club if they really don't like clubs. Um, maybe they should find an individual that they connect with to a certain extent. I mean, beekeepers, you know, can be a little bit grumpy and hard-edged, just <laughs> like in any area of life. And, um, yes, I know lots of them like that. And, and so uh, I enjoy the company, but uh, you have to be prepared for that hard-edged bit. <laughs> Using our courses, online course, the beekeeper.org, is, is a great way too. You really get familiar with what bees are about by that, but there's no substitute for getting your hands into a beehive and covered with bees. You know, it's a lovely thing to be able to do. And obviously wearing the protective gear so you don't hurt them or they don't hurt you so you don't get stung. And you guys actually sell like the whole kit and the like a GOT certified bee suit as well. That's, again, very, very yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, well. I, I mean, I generally most beekeepers will put a veil on at least. If you know your bees, and that's this is a whole other part of being a beekeeper, getting to know them, but also 
selecting ones that are gentle, mm. then you can go in just in your shorts and a T-shirt, you know, like just because you know they're gentle, you know they're not aggressive, and you know how to be gentle and steady with them too, and they've got to know you. Bees get to know their beekeeper. So you would, I would never advise someone inexperienced with bees to go in with no protective gear. So you do that at first, but as you get more experienced, you can use less gear. So I'll tend to use a veil and keep my hands bare, but because then I can feel the bees. I can feel if I'm beginning to squash one as I pick up a frame or whatever. And then sometimes I'll open a hive and I haven't realised they've got a little bit wild and I get stung a couple of times and go, okay, I'll put my gloves on. You know, it's, it's, it's um, like that. <laughs> so you kind of just learn how, you, like, when, as you go and to see, you know, what's, what's working and what's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm excited for that journey to start. <laughs> yeah, it's a great journey, yeah. For a lot of us that cannot currently, you know, have a beehive in our backyard or, you know, balcony, some councils can be a little bit agitated sometimes about it. What can we do to kind of really help the bees and pollinators? We, you can make a, a pollinator house or you can get them ready made. We have them for sale occasionally that we make out of our scrap, scrap timber. And, um, and surprisingly, all sorts of insects come, little bees and little wasps and spiders and things come and inhabit the house that's made specially to have all different sorts of hidey holes for various creatures. So that will encourage pollinators and give them somewhere to live. And you can also, um, on a balcony or, or whatever, plant flowers and uh, you can study up for your area which flowers attract various pollinators and that's fun because that's another thing about becoming a beekeeper but even doing that for pollinators, suddenly you become aware of the insects that are hovering around the flowers and you can see you know, a moth battle with a bee as to who's going to get the nectar and so on. Um, oh, wow. So. I've actually created a little bee retreat, I call it. It's not very fancy, but it's a lavender plant and I've got like a um, little water bowl that goes around it and I've just been keeping filling that up. So at least, you know, when when they come past, they can have a little bit of a sip of water and then um, I really yeah, planted like it. bright colored flowers and like checked out what do they like here and yeah, just trying to go as native as well as with some of the plants. So I mean, there's, there's so much that affects bees as well, like we were talking about spraying. So for me, one of the things, you know, when, when we look at our food, try to buy stuff that's not sprayed because in a way that's, that's definitely helping the bees if we get more organic um, produce out there instead of all of this mainstream sprayed with who knows what. You're right, Marika. And, and, and actually that's the best reason to buy organic is not so much for you, you know, I don't want to eat the poisons, but, but more for our environment. Uh, that's, that's the reason to buy organic. In terms of tests of the, the remnants of pesticides and so on that are left on the vegetables you might buy, there, it's negligible, but it makes a difference that the farmer's not using those sprays on their land and so we're helping value them. Uh, you know, I, I, I talked to an organic farmer a little while ago and he was really annoyed that um, 
he had to call himself an organic farmer. He just wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> and he gets called a farmer. And if people use chemicals and pesticides and so on, then they should call themselves a chemical farmer <laughs> and he can just be a farmer. <laughs> I love that. Moment, he has to be an organic farmer. <laughs> yeah, because because obviously the the process in getting certified organic is quite expensive. So a lot of the farmers are yeah. like, listen, I'm doing everything. I just don't have the certificate. I'm literally spray free. You can come and see. So then it's kind of that balance because I visited so many organic farms that has got the certification. And when you go there and you're like, what is this chemicals doing right here? That's not organic. It's like hidden away. Like, you know, so you, you, you sometimes you need to really get into who's the farmer, what do they do? Are they passionate? And are they actually doing stuff to save our bees as well? So hopefully our crazy birds can look at that next time they order something or buy something that needs to go on their plate. Mm. So, Stuart, what is next for Flow Hive? Well, Cedar and I keep working um, every week in, in the shed, developing some new things, and some of it has got nothing to do with beekeeping and other, some do. And um, so we're still tr- trying to make beekeeping more accessible for people and easier on the bees. So you could expect, you know, I just, these things take may longer than I think they should, but... <laughs> Within the next year, we'll be releasing some of those products. So there's that going on. We're really proud of that, what's happening with the beekeeper.org and that it's raising money and we're partnering up with this Bee Friendly Farming Initiative and through Wean Bee. And so that's, we don't know how that will blossom. And I guess blossom is the word. It's new, you know, the seed's been planted. but We don't know what that will turn into. So that's really, really exciting. Meanwhile, we're just very pleased and grateful that we have 40 or 50 staff, you know, team working with us and um, so ways that we can support our, our workers and, and, you know, all, all of that means a lot to me. Um, yeah, and the environmental stuff particularly that I mentioned around climate change, of course we are committed to that. We're a B corporation, which is a just a capital B, which means Plan B corporation, where we're um, sustainable and, and so on in a variety of ways it takes, but we're also going to be a zero, what is it called? And our footprint is zero carbon. And, and as I said, that's not good enough. We've got to somehow work out how we as a company, we as a region, we as a country, we as the world are going to go negative carbon for a while because there's already too much CO2 and methane in the air. And um, uh, to me, that's the big question. Oh, that's amazing. So we're definitely going to keep on watching the space and see all of these new products blossoming. That's wonderful. So, Stuart, there is just one, like, last question about your most important decision. But before I ask that, I just want to check, is there anything that you felt we've missed out, anything that you still want to say i mean we can literally talk for hours (laughs) you know maybe maybe to the um you know we were talking about in the beginning what how can anyone make a difference Mm. and so on and i think it it does come back down to a sort of a, a passion and cultivating that passion and which means you know seed is much better than this me it means staying more focused i get a bit scattered there's so much going on but um 
but the passion helps focus you. And so part of the success of our crowdfunding was that we had a passion and, and the passion wasn't to be, you know, have lots of money or anything like that. It was about our invention and what we'd done and what a difference it might make. So the same thing applies to when you're trying to make a difference in the world. It's like, well, it's, there's hundreds of different ways you could, whether it's working for women's causes or for children to pay for, for our environment, whether it's the pollinators or for ecosystems or whatever. But um, your passion can guide you in those things too. I love that. And yeah, definitely. I mean, your passion just shines through when you talk about all of this and the bees especially. So yeah, thank you so much for all of that that you guys are doing. So Stuart, what has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth? You know, a long time ago in my, when I was young, I was a potter. And I liked making pottery. At a certain point, I had to decide, am I, is this going to be my livelihood, you know, continue to be my livelihood? Is this where I'm going? And I decided, personally for me, I decided, well, the world's got enough pottery, you know, and there's much better potters than me, and um, I'd rather do something that really more directly makes a difference. So it was that time in my early life that I decided that it was important for me to to do something that made a difference for a better world than just do things that I enjoy. <laughs> I love that. And that's so important. Yeah. Jeez. So I'm just going to start with the final five. So the first one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow? The one that I get a regular uh, broadcast from is from uh, Future Crunch. I don't know if you know, know it. It's Future Crunch. And it's an odd name, but often they are. And it's mainly good news stories. And they're good news stories in terms of women or in the environment or, yeah, a variety of social issues and in terms of climate change as well. It's a balance for me against the onslaught of, you know, the regular news tends to be driven by um, bad things happening, you know, because that's what how it works. But um it's, it's lovely to get good news stories and, and feel heartened by the efforts people all around the world are making. Yeah. feel connected to it somehow. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? Well, um, there's lots of hopes. And the first one that comes to mind is, is that we humans take climate change extremely seriously and make the changes necessary straight away. And... Um, Going to carbon neutral isn't good enough. It's got to be carbon negative for a while. We've already lost more than half the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. It's, uh, it's bleached out. We've had big bushfires. Beekeepers and farmers can't rely on, on the usual weather anymore. It's really, really serious. And we're not even at the limit of what the general governments around the world want to do. So, so climate change we're not acting fast enough or thoroughly enough and uh, so that's my biggest wish and then it is around people understanding that we're all the same you know in terms of we want our children to thrive and we want a sense of security in our lives as well as a sense of adventure and we can do that without fighting each other about it you know the other the other wish is is for women to be fully you know take their place um 
fully in terms of the, the decision making and and how things get organized around the earth. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to actually help out Mama Earth? There's a lot of different advice and you always have to be careful with advice, I think. That's the first <laughs> bit of advice is um, this is just a point of view, you know, um, but there's something about making sure we appreciate something or someone every day. So whether it's the easy things like the beautiful sunrise or more difficult things like the insect that bites us, appreciation every day is, is, is quite important and it is an effort, can I say that? It is important. It's making an effort. And sometimes in our lives it seems impossible. But um, the effort in trying to do it is enough. Mostly you succeed and sometimes you'll be in a tough day and you won't be able to. So appreciation, that's the first one. And then remembering that each of us can only do a little bit, but it is important that each of us do a little bit. So that's around not getting overwhelmed because there's so much that needs attention in our world, but we can each of us only do a bit. And um, so I love the serenity prayer. If you if you know the serenity prayer, it's grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, you know, and, and the courage to change the things I can. Oh, I love that. And it that. goes on. It's a great thing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? That's a good question because I haven't really thought about that. I could talk about pollinators and how important they are. And, of course, that's my area of work now. But, you know, one thing that strikes me recently is how much the earth just keeps giving. Life just keeps producing and that's how come we get to eat, you know, and how come we have, get to have honey is that the, the earth and life in general is so generous. And so all that needs is us to, to care about it and notice it and appreciate it back to appreciation. And then we'll act appropriately. Um, yeah. Oh, awesome. And Stuart, where can people actually find you and the Flow Hive? Honeyflow.com is the quick answer. That's for the flow hives. And then we do also have a website called thebeekeeper.org. They will find some videos of me, but they'll find much better videos of really experienced and expert beekeepers to learn from in that site. But honeyflow.com will find you your, our website in whichever country you're in. Oh, awesome. And I am going to link all of that up in our show notes. So crazy birds, you can head over there and just click on the links to make it easier for you guys. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've learned a lot and you guys are doing some amazing work and I'm sure our crazy birds have learned a lot as well. So thank you for that. Thanks, Marika. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them and I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes so if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next 
Maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.